Good morning. Uh, We'll be reading in Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each one his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in, with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you speak to us, Lord, in many ways. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Father, use Pastor Dean this morning. Father, Lord, we know that you are faithful. You are always there, Father, no matter the mountains and the valleys, the highs and the lows. Father, no matter what we're going through, you are faithful. You are always there. And Lord, we can trust in you to, for that, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all aren't getting off that easy. We're going through all the way into chapter 41. But Laura got us started this morning reading the first eight verses. And what we see here is that Joseph, who we've been talking about for the last, what are we on, our fourth week in Joseph together, uh, we've been talking about his story. And at the end of the book of Genesis, and how Joseph was first wrongly imprisoned because of the jealousy of his brothers. And then Joseph's uh, brother Judah found himself entangled in kind of a, a, a very strong and severe sexual sin. And then Joseph was, uh, was really tempted with the same type of sin with Potiphar's wife, which we talked about last week and how he overcame it. And uh, he, his overcoming sin and doing things the right way has now led him in prison. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you need to catch up on our series, uh, we have our our sermons post every week on YouTube, and Nick, right down here, Nick is working on getting us a podcast launched. Uh, It's up, it's up, up. so it's already launched, and so uh, it's everywhere, so just wherever you get podcasts, look up, is it called Family Church NOLA, or what what is it called? Family Church NOLA, and so... That's if you're listening uh, in a car ride, or if you want to listen at home, you can always put it on YouTube as well, Uh, because there's a lot of important topics we've talked about the last few weeks. Uh, You know, this week, I'm kind of glad that we're not going to be talking on a sermon that's all about sexual sin, but those, the last two weeks were heavily important because we need to see in our world today, these are serious sins that we all face. Now I want you to see that there's a, there's a temptation today, even in Joseph's situation as he's wrongly imprisoned, and that temptation is waiting. How many people here like to wait? Does anybody like to wait? Raise your hand if you Okay, who hates to wait? Raise your hand. All right. Um, we all hate to wait for, for the most part, but waiting, here's the big idea. Waiting is an opportunity. 
Waiting is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity for two different things. It's an opportunity, I might go through points here in a moment, but waiting, if you sum it up this way, waiting is an opportunity to do things your own way or an opportunity to trust God. That's kind of what it boils down to. Do it your own way or trust God. And I know this is a timely uh, message because literally in like the last two days, I've talked with people in our congregation that have struggled with waiting. And, uh, and, I, and I could share to them the same thing. I mean, one of my more recent things was uh, earlier this year, I think because of the impact of dealing with Hurricane Ida and things like that, I, I dealt with, uh, and I was transparent with y'all, um, but I dealt with like some strong anxiety at the beginning of this year. Strong anxiety to where we have a stool up here in case I, I, an episode happened while I was on stage and I couldn't stand and preach. And that's not always why I sit down, but there were a couple Sundays where I preached sitting down because I wasn't feeling good. And sometimes you're like, okay, God, how, how, when are you going to get me out of this? When am I going to climb out of this pit? Just know, sometimes we get thrown into pits, but he's always there to reach out his hand and get us out. Sometimes you have to go through a valley before you get to the mountaintop. The mountaintop is pretty, right? Have you ever been to the top of a mountain? Anybody ever been outside of Louisiana and been to the top of a mountain, right? It's, uh, I remember going to the top of Keystone Mountain in uh, Colorado. Never been skiing in my life. And they say do all the bunny slopes and lessons before you go up there. But I was an arrogant college student, and I went to the very top. And uh, after falling for about the 40th time and passed up by little kids on the ski slope and hitting a black slope instead of a green and probably language coming out of my mouth that's unbecoming of a pastor, after that time, I said, God, if you get me down this mountain, I will never come back up again. It's so pretty, but sometimes coming down mountains are painful, right? And so what we see is that... Joseph has this triumphant story last week. He overcomes Potiphar's wife. And what is his reward for overcoming Potiphar's wife's temptation to a powerful woman wanting to sleep with him? What is his reward? His reward is imprisonment. And so we see in these first eight verses that Laura just read, in Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 8, that waiting for Joseph and for us, waiting is an opportunity for work. Waiting is an opportunity. You're going to do something with that waiting. And what we see here is waiting is an opportunity for work. No specific time frame is given for how long Joseph's been in prison at this point. But we do know that it says after some time or sometime after. Then two of the king or Pharaoh's chief officials, his cupbearer and his baker. These are in, in those days... Those were probably the two most important positions in the office of royalty because they controlled the food. The way you would take out a ruler was not by assassination uh, or, 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 or uprising. The way you took out a ruler was in that day you killed them by poisoning their food. And so the cupbearer and the baker were highly trusted. They were cabinet members. You know, that may catch us by surprise if we thought about the White House baker uh, being a member of the cabinet, but that's how it was back then because they were privy to privileged conversations. Think about that. When heads of state or in, important meetings between generals took place, they were there serving. The cupbearer was there to, to taste the wine, make sure they wouldn't get a kill 
the king, you know, to eat some of the food, make sure it wasn't going to kill him. Uh, the cupbearer was like the secretary of state, like, or the vice president. Like, the cupbearer was a highly important position. And these two dudes obviously do something wrong, and they get thrown into prison. It's ironic that they're thrown into prison for doing things wrong, and Joseph, God's man, is thrown into prison for doing what was right. So you can't look at your present circumstances and think, if things are going good, obviously I'm doing right by God. And if things are going wrong, what am I doing wrong? I'm not saying if things are going wrong, we're not doing wrong. But what I'm saying is that trouble, hardship, I hate to break it to you, it's a part of life. (laughs) It stinks. It's a part of life. Trouble and hardship are a part of life. All you have to do is live long enough and life will punch you straight in the face. Like that's just the reality of what it is. We as a church, uh, we're praying right for rain. So uh, we're, we're, we're seeing what's going to happen at the end of the next month. We're not panicking because we trust in God. Just so you know, we already have some churches and ministries that are prepared to bring truckloads of water here to serve us and to help us out. I actually had one church in Starkville, Mississippi call me and say, can we send you money uh, to, uh, to purchase some supplies? And I said, better yet, you purchase the supplies and bring them here because I'm not fighting the crowds to do it. And so, you know, but we're, we're, we're prepared to serve and love each other and our community if need be. But it's also a, a reminder to me that we can't go a stinking year as family church without some sort of natural disaster happening, you know? It can be frustrating. But it's also this waiting is a time where we can trust. It's a time for our work. What we see here is that the offense against the baker was thrown in prison for an offense against the king of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh was not often referred to as the king of Egypt. It's a rare term. But the term was chosen by the author because it emphasized that the Egyptian ruler was thought like they were a king or an incarnation of a god. Earlier, the similar phrase was used by Joseph when he said, how can I sin against God? Similar phrase. So Joseph didn't sin against the real God. These, uh, these two that are thrown into prison have sinned against their own false God. If you didn't know it, Pharaoh uh, considered himself the God Horus. And God, the God Horus in Egyptian mythology uh, oversaw the abundance of the land. That's why when we get to the dream here at the end and then in the chapter next week fully, uh, you're going to see that there's, uh, there's visions, and, and, and we're going to read about it here in a moment, that Pharaoh has. And the, the reason why the cattle and the crops are in that dream and they're, and they're, and they're, uh, seems like they're great and then they're bad, it's, it's really an indictment on the god-king Pharaoh, Horus, who's supposed to be in charge of all the land. But we see that Joseph didn't waste his imprisonment. If you look at verses 2 through 4, it says that he attended them. The guard appointed Joseph to attend them. And what this word for attend, it literally means to serve. Similar, similar, not the same word, but similar to our New Testament terminology for diakonos or deacon or service, which is something that uh, we're going to 
try to do here in the coming months as family church is to kind of ratify and have our first deacons as a church. We're excited about that. So um, if you didn't know that, that's coming up. So we're going to make that official. It's good. It's, it's in the Bible. We should have them, you know. And so, uh, but, but Joseph served. He served while he was in prison. Waiting didn't mean that you didn't do anything. How oftentimes when we wait, we just pick up our phone and we scroll a whole bunch because we're trying to get our minds off of the waiting. How often when we wait, we try to do things our own way. Waiting is not a time for inactivity or inaction. I love how John Piper puts it. John Piper has a quote. He says, waiting for the Lord in a season of darkness should not be and should never be a time for inactivity. We should do what we can do. And doing is often when God provides or appoints remedy for the despair. Let me say that again. Waiting in a season of darkness is not time to do nothing. It's not a time of inactivity. We should do what we can do. And doing is often God's appointed remedy for despair. I've often heard people say, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know where I'm supposed to live. I don't know what I'm... Hey, here's the thing. New Orleans is a difficult place to live. I know many people who don't like living here. You know what? Your butt's still here. You haven't moved yet. So you have work to do while you're here. Sometimes we complicate God's will and vision for our lives. We're waiting to get out of the mess when the mess is sometimes what God has us right in the midst of. And I don't know who need to hear that today. That's not a point at anybody. I could probably say it in the mirror, you know? Because if you didn't know it, most pastors want to quit. on They call it bread truck Mondays, where you want to quit and drive a bread truck. Sometimes it's bread truck Sunday at 1 p.m., you know, like sometimes, if you're honest, but sometimes you just got to look yourself in the mirror and say, God, I know I'm doing what you've called me to do, and I'm going to do it faithfully until you change it. So we see that God is kind of in control of what's happening here. It just so happens that God is working behind the scenes. Y'all know that God's always working behind the scenes even when things seem difficult and dim. What God is doing behind the scenes is God didn't cause the cupbearer or the baker to do the sins against their master, no. God didn't cause the master to be an arrogant false god, no. But God orchestrated those things to put these two prisoners who would have dreams that would need interpretation in the same prison. Because I don't know if y'all know this, they had multiple prisons in ancient Egypt. Like to put them in the same prison where his servant Joseph was. And if you know the rest of the story, and we're going to get to it even more next week, the end of the story is that Joseph the prisoner becomes Joseph the ruler. The lowest becomes the second highest in all of ancient Egypt. And how did this this happen? It says in verses 5 through 7, he saw that they were troubled and he asked. Like he visibly saw they were distraught and he asked. Do y'all know that that's, that's one of our greatest opportunities to share Jesus with people? I want to apply this to us. My friend Lane, who lives on the North Shore, some of y'all know him, he said yesterday he was in town and he spoke with a, with a, with a man who just looked distraught. And he said, hey, you, you doing okay? Can I pray for you? The man is going through a divorce. Uh, he hadn't been married that long. He's in his kind of mid-20s and just said, you know, hey, I'm having t- uh, trouble 
with, with God and the way all this is doing. And Lane just encouraged him to go to church and all that, told him about our church. And, but here's the thing. Oftentimes we see people struggling and our, implica- our, 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 our natural implication is, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I'm not saying you have to stop and feed every homeless person you ever see. Otherwise, you wouldn't get anywhere in our city. But what I am saying is that you should ask the Spirit, tell me when to shut up and stop. Tell me when to serve. And if you haven't done that, we need to take an inventory of our lives. Are we doing what God has called us to do? I want to share a few statistics. I'm going to get hung up a little bit in this first point, but don't worry. We'll move on. A few statistics that a friend of mine shared with me. He's working on a research article. Out of the network of churches that we're a part of, which is the largest network of Protestant evangelical churches in Louisiana and in New Orleans, there's one member in our churches for every 54 lost people in our city. Get that. That's not family church. That's Celebration Church, Williams Boulevard Baptist, like all of like our sister churches. There is one member for every 54 lost people. One person that is coming quite regularly. Now, that's just member. That's not a tender. Y'all get that? Churches have membership, but they often don't come. The reality is of attenders, there's one lost person for every 101. There's one faithful churchgoer, and faithful churchgoer is defined as attending church once a month. That's not faithful, but that's the way the statistics look at it. Once a month, that's once a month. One for every 101 lost people in our city. I don't know if you know this. Yes, Orleans Parish has decreased over the years because of natural disaster and Hurricane Katrina, even where Jefferson Parish were a little bit larger than Orleans Parish. But the population of Metro New Orleans hasn't changed that much. It's actually continued to go up. Metro New Orleans has close to 1.3 million people in it. 1.3 million people. Did you know also... 10% of churchgoers claim, this is regular once a month churchgoers, 10% of them have claimed to share their faith, like ever. 10%, that means one out of 10 have shared their faith. That means in our city, I know a lot of us, we're waiting. We're waiting to see if uh, we're going to have water (laughs) at the end of October. We're waiting on the next move, the next job, the next promotion, what, whatever it might be. We're waiting till uh, we can, like, Chris can say amen to this. I know Laura and I, we can't wait to get our kids out of the house one day so we have it back, right? You know, like, we're all waiting on something. But did you know in that waiting, on average, there was one person per 16,500 people that is willing in our city to share Jesus. That's a lot of work for, I'm going to just say, that's a lot of work for me. Because I'm willing to share. I don't want to share. hate to break it to y'all. I don't like getting in people's business. When you get in people's business, it gets gross and ugly. 
I'd rather hide away from it all. I'd rather be in prison sometimes, you know, way inactive, you know, in my own cell. I know I look extroverted, but trust me, on Sunday afternoons, I, Laura can tell you, I shut it down. My kids are crazy. Sometimes I'm, I look at her and she's like, yeah, you can go to the bedroom and lock the door. You know, like sometimes I have to have it. But what I have to have more is obedience. One per 16,500 people. At that rate, Billy Graham told us when he was alive, it took 20 times sharing the good news of Jesus for someone to accept on average. 20 times. And so at that rate, if there were no more births, no more population growth, I hate to break it to you, our population is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to shift where you white people are not going to be the minority. That's, I'm saying you white people. I'm looking at my, myself. You know, you're not the minority in 2050, right? Our population is shifting. Our population is growing. Our population is, is changing. And even if it didn't do that at our current rate, it would take 905 years to tell everybody in our city about Jesus with the people who are actually willing to say something about Jesus. <laughs> Y'all, we're waiting, but it's also time for our work. We got work to do. We got work to do. So if you're one of those nine out of 10 that don't share Jesus, don't be discouraged. I've shared Jesus many times and I've shared Jesus terribly. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Praise God, it's not even dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon them saying the right words. The Spirit is there working when you're obedient. He is. I will tell you, Three out of five times I've ever talked about Jesus with somebody, they've said, let's keep talking. That's my statistics, you know? I've only been rejected, like, not that many times. Like, I mean, comparatively, it's okay to get rejected. Guys, I mean, men in here, how many times did you ask a girl out on a date and she blew you off, hey? Anybody? Anybody? You know, like, Nick's, I guess. Yeah, that, that was my story for a long time. You know, <laughs> you know? It's reality. You're going to face rejection in life. Our Gen, our Gen Z, I'm going to make fun of them in here, our teenagers. You need to, you need to accept it. You're going to get rejected in life. Like, it's, it's part of it, you know? Rejection is worth it when Jesus is involved. You may get thrown in the pit, and when you're in the pit, there's also the stigma of being in the pit. You're a prisoner. You're a nobody. You're useless. Let's go on to point number two. And like I said, I'm going to get through these pretty quick. Waiting is an opportunity for our work, but waiting is an opportunity for our trust. Let's read verses 9 through 23 of chapter 40. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph... And he said to him, and now get this, see how the chief cupbearer's dream correlates to what he does. In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on that vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed short, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. The Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed it into the Pharaoh's cup and placed it in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, 
This is the interpretation. The three branches are going to have significance here in a moment because in three days uh, they're going to be before Pharaoh. But he says the three branches, what verse was I at? 12, 13, 13, or 12, 12. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation for the the three branches are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore to you your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly as you were cupbearer. Only remember it, since, since the cupbearer is obviously innocent, Joseph then says, only remember when it is well with you, please do me the kindness. Now that word for kindness is hest, loving kindness, the type of godly love that God has for his people. Remember to me the kindness to mention to me to Pharaoh, so that you can get me out of this house, out of this pit. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing, and they should not have put me in this pit. So Joseph's saying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Remember me when you go before Pharaoh. Say something positive about me. Possibly this could get me out of the pit. Verse 16. And when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he's like, all right, let me go to this guy. He's going to interpret my dreams, you know. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head, and the uttermost basket was all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds, so here he has, he has, he has three baskets on his head. I don't know if y'all can balance well, but this dude could balance well. You know, he has baskets of food on his head, and he's not protecting the top basket because that's Pharaoh's food. But the birds are coming because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, birds were unclean. They were evil, still are in this day, right, Atlanta Falcons? You know, like, so y'all were supposed to laugh at that. I know the gold choke is getting old, so... Um, Verse 17, the uttermost basket, there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered saying, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are for the three days. So he's telling both these guys, in three days, something's going to happen. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Well, hey, this is the same interpretation that the cupbearer had. Lifting up your head meant that you were coming in the presence of Pharaoh and that you were being lifted up or restored to your old job. But here's where it differentiates. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, dot, 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 from you. (laughs) You don't want your head lifted up from you. What does that mean? That means you're decapitated, right? And hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Wow, I didn't want that dream interpreted, right? What's crazy about this dream is the food that the, the evil birds and judgment was gnawing on was the baker himself. We don't need to feel sorry for these guys. They both obviously did something wrong. One was restored, one wasn't. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, now it could have been a birthday, it could have been, the word here could have also been an anniversary, like we celebrate Nigerian independence today, like it could have been an anniversary of his accession to the throne. But on this important holiday for Pharaoh, he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, 
and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands, fulfilling the dream. But here we go, verses 22 and 23. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Usually in that time, you were, you were killed before you were displayed in public. It was a sign to not disobey the ruler. So there's a chance lifting up your head from you, either the baker was impaled by a pole or the baker was decapitated and his remains were hung on a pole. His impaled body was hung on a pole. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph and forgot him. The one thing Joseph asked him to do, right? Just remember me. This happens. It's only three days. It's not like it's been three years. Three stinking days and he forgets. He forgets. It's not like, I mean, my wife, I can pick on my wife. My wife forgets everything, you know? And it's... It's, it's not like serious forgetfulness. It's like little forgetfulness. If there's something direly important, life or death, we remember, right? Like, or we put it, I mean, hey, put a note on your phone with a reminder, you know? This guy gets a dream from a guy who helps him out or, or an interpretation to a dream, a guy that helps him out. All his only ask is remember me and he forgets. So here Joseph is waiting some more. Joseph had more than enough time. We're going to read in the next verse. It was another two years. Another two years before the cupbearer even remembers anything about Joseph. Another two. Y'all ever had your, your memory jogged by something like years later? That's what happens. Another two years. Enough time for Joseph to question God and to criticize God. And to turn to his own way. But waiting is an opportunity for trust. How do we know that Joseph was going to trust? Remember Genesis chapter 39 last week? It, says, it said multiple times, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph trusted the Lord. The Lord asked for our trust. That's all that he asks. And he will fight our battles. <coughs> Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight to you, fight for you. All you have to do is be still. You need to hear that. The Lord will fight your battles for you. All you have to do is be still. So let's read verses 1 through 14, and we're going to wrap for the day in chapter 41. And after two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed. Now it was important that Pharaoh dreamed because Pharaoh was considered the god of the land. And when a king dreamed or when Pharaoh dreamed, it had more significance than when any, anyone else dreamed. And his dream is quite peculiar and we're going to get into it more next week. Pharaoh dreamed that while he was standing by the Nile, y'all, we can relate to this. We see how dependent we are on the Mississippi River. Like Egypt was even more dependent upon the Nile. I don't know if you've ever been to Egypt, but it's, it's wasteland. The only civilizations around that river and its delta, like, 
The river provides like any type of agriculture that they need. Like it's only the Nile River. And behold, there camped out on the Nile were seven cows. Now, seven cows have significance. Cows were Isis. Uh, cows were often depicted as Isis, the, the mother of Horus. So this is Pharaoh's mother. Y'all heard of Isis? We have a parade, right? You know, called Isis. Uh, the terrorist group named Isis as well, you know, like, but the Isis in this day was the false god of, 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 of provision and control. And so what we see here is that his own fertility and his own dynastic line and his own success is risked by the interpretation of this dream. There were seven cows, attractive and plump. These are the ones that you want. These are the ones that Ruth Chris is cooking, right? These are, these are the ones, right? And they fed on the reed grass, and behold, there were seven other cows, ugly and thin. I'm not going to make fun of who was cooking these cows, but you know what I mean. Like, and they came up from the Nile, and they stood by the other cows on the banks of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive and plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Now, some of these dreams may seem peculiar, but how, how normal are your dreams? Do y'all have normal dreams? I don't think anybody has normal dreams. Dreams are peculiar. It says in verse 5, And he fell asleep again and, and, and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain. Get this, grain and wheat were, were, were the livelihood for Egypt. That, that it was, it, it, their empire would rise and fall dependent upon their grain production. And behold, after them sprouted up seven ears, thin and, and, and blighted by the east wind. So there were, well, let's go back. I skipped a little bit. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, there were seven ears of grain, plump and good, and were growing from one stalk. The one stalk is symbolic of the Nile River because they were all dependent upon that one source. And it also makes them vulnerable because if you cut down the stalk, everything else dies, right? Y'all know that. And behold, sprouted from them seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. Now, this is weird. Like, you know, plants don't usually eat other plants. Neither do cats. Y'all ever seen cannibalistic cows? Like, I haven't seen cannibalistic cows, but that's what's happening here in the dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. I'd be troubled too. Like, that's a weird dream. Y'all ever wake up from a weird dream and you're like, what in the world just happened? So he wakes up and in this time they interpreted evil dreams as a bad omen. And he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none there who could, could interpret them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh surrounded himself in this time. The Babylonian empire was very similar. Y'all remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar and, and Daniel, like a similar story of, a, of an evil king uh, surrounding himself with interpreters who couldn't interpret the dream, but the one God sent uh, servant uh, could do that. And so what we see here is that ancient Egyptians, they actually had a training school. Like they had their own seminary teaching these false magicians and wise men how to interpret dreams through symbology. Anybody remember this from the story of, of Moses and Aaron going back before Pharaoh and the, and the magicians and the wise men, they, they kind of like falsely recreate some of the things that, and, the, and, and their magic, you know, trying to deceive Pharaoh. But ultimately, Joseph, uh, Moses 
was the one who was doing it accurately and was proven to be so. But what we see here is that the chief cupbearer then at this time, when the wisest men in the land, when the most trusted advisors had nothing to say, the chief cupbearer finally remembers. And he remembered at the most opportune time. God usually causes something to happen at the most opportune time. Family church, we wanted to have a big block party, a big grand opening in September of 2021. That didn't happen because Hurricane Ida hit two weeks earlier and we didn't have electricity. We had damage, we had mold in our building. But God, at the right, most opportune time, gave us the opportunity to serve. And 10,000 people were served. 10,000 hot meals. Y'all, we wouldn't have gotten 100 people here. I hate to have small faith. Abby is going to hit me upside the head. But, you know, we'd have struggled to have 100 people here. God used one of the most evil of circumstances to give us the opportunity to serve 10,000. And I'm not saying we pray for those opportunities, but what I'm saying is that waiting is an opportunity, no matter what comes our way. It says, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. And when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And a young Hebrew, he doesn't even call him Joseph, he says, a young Hebrew. It's kind of like us, we would expect a, just to be real, we'd probably expect a white strong man to, to, be, to be the answer in our culture. I'm not demeaning white men by any means. It, the most unthought person that God would use was the Hebrew prisoner. That's like, do you know in our world today, we think of church planners and pastors as, as strong men. Do you know that because of the house church movement in China, the average church in the entire world, it's been said, is led by a Chinese woman with bare feet. It's not saying that men shouldn't lead. It's just saying in cultures like the Middle East and China, where it's illegal, and women are, are downcast, and men are elevated. Y'all remember that when China limited the one-child policy? All they wanted was men, right? They didn't want the women, because the men can't produce an heir. That's why they have problems now. Shows you when we don't do things God's way, be fruitful and multiply. When we don't do things God's way, we're eventually, we're cursed. I don't know if y'all know that, China's economy is not doing great because of the way that they reproduced. Too many men, too little women, not enough, not enough people to care for the aging in their culture. God has a purpose for all this. When we look at design and we think, no, that's, that's dumb, that's hateful. Man and woman and, you know, why shouldn't we do things our own way? God has a plan for his creation. And he created us on purpose. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man 
according to his dream. Verse 13, I'm going to read through 14 and we're going to be done. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And the word here for quickly brought meant that they hurried. This tells you how serious Pharaoh wanted to get this dream interpreted. They quickly brought him out of the pit. And he had himself shaved. Y'all, it's good, you know, when you're going to appear before a king, you better shave and look nice. They put new clothes on him. Y'all know you've seen ancient, like, Egyptian, like, movies, or if you remember the Prince of Egypt cartoon, for the most part, Egyptian men are, are fully shaved, right? That's the way that they presented themselves. Only rulers, if you remember in some of those cartoons, only rulers could have some facial hair. Every other man had to be shaved. So they're preparing him. They're changing his clothes. Y'all, Joseph's last experience was having his clothes ripped off of him. Now he's getting the king's clothes. He's getting the clothes of royalty. This is what God does to us in our waiting, is he clothes us with his goodness. And he came before Pharaoh, which brings us to our last point. Waiting is an opportunity for our work. Waiting is an opportunity for our trust. But waiting is an opportunity first and foremost for God's work. Waiting is an opportunity for God's work. Joseph's rise to power, which we'll look at more next week, was fulfilled through waiting and humble service. Y'all get that? Waiting and humble service. He got to the top by serving and waiting. That's not the way we do it. We get to the top by other people serving us and doing it now. That's the American dream, right? Maybe it's time we leave the American dream and we fix our eyes on God's dream for our life. A dream that, an empire that will never end. I'm thankful for the United States of America. I'm thankful for those who serve in our military. I'm thankful for our elected officials. But they will not last for eternity. Those that will last for eternity are the people of God. And that that whom which we've been created for. So I want to close with this. Waiting is an opportunity, and I want you to ponder this today. Waiting is an opportunity. How will you use yours? How will you use your waiting? You'll either use it sinfully and you'll waste it, or you'll use it by trusting God and watching God as he works. Like Lamentations 3, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 25, I'll close with this verse. The Lord is, is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lamentations 3, 25, I want to read it to you again. As every eye is closed and every head is bowed, the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. God, I pray today, as we respond to your words, I pray that we would have faith like Joseph to, in our waiting to get to work, to interpret dreams, to serve the poor, to do whatever you've gifted us to do. God, each of us have 
two eyes, a nose, two hands, two feet, for the most part. Lord, we have all of these things. Lord, help our senses to be inclined with the need that surrounds us, Lord. The 16,000 people per person who is willing to share Jesus with someone who's, God, we are making it too easy for people to go to hell. So God, today, empower us by your spirit and let us see how sweet it is to trust in you and how sweet it is to watch you move and to watch you work in our waiting. So God, help us to wait. Help us to wait on you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand?